0: Brian McClanahan Show, episode 186. Are you ready to think locally and act locally? Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to The Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Brian McClanahan. Like my Facebook page at Brian McClanahan. And, of course, subscribe to my YouTube page at Brian McClanahan. Go to BrianMcClanahan, B-R-I-O-N, McClanahan.com. Give me an email address and I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook, read by yours truly, of the same title. Also, go to McClanahanacademy.com where you can always enroll for free. And you've got five classes there that you can purchase one on the war, one on the Constitution, one on secession, one on the Declaration, and one on Alexander Hamilton. All of that will help support the Brian McClanahan Show. You can also support the Brian McClanahan Show by going to brianmcclanahan.com forward slash support. You can throw a few pennies my way, help keep the lights on, help keep the podcast going. And you can support the Brian McClanahan Show by going to redbubble.com. Just do a search for my name and you'll get all of my Brian McClanahan Show logo gear. You've got apparel, you've got uh, plates, clocks, all kinds of cool stuff that have got my logo on it. So go out there to redbubble.com. And always please support the show by sharing this podcast around on social media and by going to iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, and leaving a positive review. The more reviews, the better, the more people see it, and the more think locally, act locally people we can get out there. All right, so today is a user-generated, or I should say listener-generated. I always say user. I don't know why. But listener-generated episode. Send me those requests. I do uh, read them. I just want to let you know, even if I don't respond back to email, I do read the emails. Uh, I get a lot. And, of course, I also have other things that go on in my life, so responding back to emails is not always uh, possible. But um, I do get your emails, so send me those requests. I do look at them. But this one is actually based on two different emails that I received yesterday. Um, and they have to do with seemingly two different topics, but they actually work together. The first, uh, I've received this email, I don't know, this, this link uh, probably ten times. Um, But it's a link to a piece that appeared in The Guardian by Rebecca Solnit entitled The American Civil War Didn't End and Trump is a Confederate President. So that's one. And then I received um, a video from Prager University uh, entitled Hamilton, The Man Who Invented America. So you look at these two things and you would think, well, these these don't go together. You've got one saying that uh, we've got Confederate America and one saying we've got Hamilton's America. Which one is it? Right, Because seemingly um, they're at odds with each other. If we have Hamilton's America, then Confederate America doesn't exist. If we have Confederate America, then Hamilton's America doesn't exist. So which one do we actually have? And one's published by a supposedly, quote, conservative organization, and one is written by a hysterical leftist. Um so which one is it? Well, they both work together well. And I'm going to explain this and how this all works. So let's start with this piece by Rebecca Solnit. First of all, um if you, if you can kind of look this woman up uh and who she is. This is uh, she she's written some <laughs> intre- I should say intra some some uh interesting books. Um, she's very much into this uh, idea of mansplaining, and uh, she, she is a, a far-left ideologue, feminist. Um, but, and if you read this piece, it's full of illogical jumps. In fact, I think probably a sixth grader could have written this thing. Number one, she doesn't understand how to punctuate properly, uh, which is just hilarious. Um, but also the jumps from position to position don't—they don't go together. They don't work. So the whole piece is illogical. First and foremost, uh, it is a hysterical screed, if nothing else. And she projects her own misery into the piece. She says that the reason—one of the things I found—just I, I laughed out loud—that the people that support, the, support this Confederate president are just miserable people. And yet, if you read this piece, it is just a 2,000-plus word uh, mind dump of misery. This woman is miserable. Her whole life is miserable, and it seems to be. She's miserable at everything, and she cannot stand the people that she writes about. And yet, she says that the problem is that she believes in inclusion, yet not these people. We can't include these people. We can't have anyone that thinks an unacceptable thought in, in America. Um, she's writing this for the UK Guardian. This is the U.S. edition, but the Guardian, of course, is a U.K. paper. And so <laughs> let me just read some of the stuff from this piece because, it, again, it makes me laugh. First, in the 158th year of the American Civil War, also known as 2018, the Confederacy continues its recent resurgence. Its victims include black people, of course, but also immigrants, Jews, Muslims, Latino, trans people, gay people, and women who want to exercise jurisdiction over their bodies. The Confederacy battles in favor of uncontrolled guns and poisons, including toxins and streams, mercury from coal plants, carbon emissions into the upper atmosphere, and oil exploitation in previously protected lands and waters. Now, first of all, that last part of it, about toxins and streams, mercury from coal um it, this woman has no concept of history at all. Uh, it, it's clear from this particular piece but it, as I said it's misery it's projection of misery onto her opponents but she's just really miserable. And one of the things about this you know if you look at the north and the south in 1860 um it was the south that was pursuing a non-industrial society. Now there were industrialists in the south no doubt about it. But the, the North was the industrial society, and when the war ended and the North won, that's when this Hamiltonian vision of America, industry, commerce, finance, was foisted on the entire United States. You're going to take it whether you like it or not. And part of that, of course, was, was rapid industrialization. So I, I'm not certain how the Confederacy, the agrarian South, is poisoning anything. Um, that's one that's that's a new one to me. I, I, I that, that's that's still uh, that's that's very, very funny. Uh, but, I mean, this is what she thinks, as I said, the whole piece is a hysterical screed. Um, its premise appears to be the protection of others limits the rights of white men, and those rights should be unlimited. Its premise appears to be that the protection of others limits the rights of white men and those rights should be unlimited. The Brazilian philosopher of education, Paulo Fierre, once noted that, quote, the impressors are afraid of losing the freedom freedom to oppress. Of course, not all white men support extending that old dominion, old domination, I should say, but those who see themselves and their privileges as under threat in a society in which women are gaining powers, and demographic shift is taking us to a U.S. in which white people will be a minority by 2045. If you are white... You could consider that the Civil War ended in 1865. Now, see, um, first of all, she, she's also white. But here, here's the funny thing. This entire piece is about how we're inclusive. She's inclusive. Yet, the, the, for, in the first three paragraphs, she has a very divisive position. It's all, not all white men, but most white men are the problem here. It's just, and you have Don Lemon and all these people. I mean, this, this the rhetoric here, it's so hypocritical. That you almost can't make up this kind of stupidity. This kind of illogical fallacy stupidity. We're inclusive, unless we don't like you. Then you're not part of it, you see. And you have this population that's a problem. They're they're a problem. They have to be dealt with. Uh, She, like I said, this is hysterical screed with projection of angst and unhappiness And hate. I mean, this woman really needs to get into needs to get in the chair and have someone go through these things with her because she has a lot of pent up aggression. This is passive aggressive. Well, not really even passive aggressive because it's being very openly aggressive. But um, she she has issues. (laughs) Um, Now and then she goes on. Another way to talk about the United States as a country of war is to note that the number of weapons in circulation is incompatible with peace. We have 5% of the world's population and 35 to 50% of the guns in civilian hands. More guns per capita than anywhere else, and more gun deaths, too. Is it any surprise that mass shootings, an almost entirely male and largely white phenomenon, are practically daily events? Really? I mean, I can't get over how many mass shootings I see every single day in the news. Oh, uh, uh, but you know, forget about the fact that there are murders every day uh, that don't involve mass shootings. Uh, and um, they don't they're not often talked about, even in, quote unquote, gun free zones. So I don't know. I mean, th- again, the hysterical part of this is just funny. But here's where she gets in to her psycho- psychoanalysis, where she's projecting. Uh Many synagogues, Jewish community centers, black churches, and public schools now engage in drills that are preparations for the gunman who might arrive. The gunman we've met in so many aftermath news stories, who is miserable, resentful, feels entitled to take lives, and is well-equipped to do so. The psychological impact of drills and fear and the financial cost of security are attacks on other people's access to guns. So are the deaths. Um, again, who really is miserable here? Who really is resentful? You have to ask yourself, as you just read, I mean, as I've gone through uh, four paragraphs in this piece, the misery and resentfulness just come through. They're seething in this particular piece. Then this is where it gets really funny. We had an ardent unionist president for eight years. Yes, Barack Obama, the the ardent unionist president whose rhetoric was divisive. It was us versus them the entire time. It was me. I mean, if you've gotten and listened to Obama's speech, it's all about him. It's us versus them the entire time. There was no uh, unionist rhetoric in Barack Obama's talks. I mean, uh, we got these people over there clinging to their Bibles and guns. Is that not divisive? It's us versus them. It's this new majority-minority coalition, whatever it is, against everybody else. That's divisive. And that's essentially what this entire piece is, whether you agree with that or not. I mean, look, the problem here is that we do have a nationalist rhetoric, you see. What she's attacking is the very thing that could actually prevent the problems we're facing in America today. And we are now 21 months into the reign of an openly Confederate president, one who has defended Confederate statues and Confederate values and Confederate goals, because Make America Great Again hearts back to some antebellum fantasy of white male dominance. Um, an antebellum fantasy of white male dominance. You know, you don't have to go uh, very far back in U.S. history, um, even after the war, to find that uh, you know white males who, who she's attacking have generally dominated the government, North and South. You don't have to go very far to look at the North to find that A- Abraham Lincoln was saying the exact same things that she's criticizing. <laughs> uh, I mean, this is where this stuff gets so funny. Uh, it, it's it's projection in a way that uh, is is almost mentally deranged. Um, the fact that somebody comes out and says, well, oh, I mean you know we should we should uh, we should admire uh, great men the fact that Booker T. washington Booker T. Washington said we should put up statues to to great men in the south, the best men of society because that is what is necessary for people to have role models. If you want to eradicate anything that had anything to do with anyone who had any kind of uh, you know uh, unjust thoughts in terms of our, our conception of the day then you just need to bulldoze just about all of American history and she does and she, she actually wants to do that I think uh, because she says as much a little bit later in the piece um, And so then she says uh, last weekend, might as well have been male, make America Gentile again, and then came the attack last Tuesday on one of the signal achievements after the end of all-out war between the states, the Fourteenth Amendment, which extends equal right of citizenship to everyone born here or naturalized. Well, it doesn't really. Again, the stupidity of of the the historical ignorance and the and the lack of understanding is just palpable in this piece. It's it's awful, and I. But this is what people read. Like, yeah, 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 and you want it. You want to fire up divisiveness. This is how you do it. You, you've you created, she keeps saying, so much of what is stake is the definition of us, ours, and we. No, no, no. What you're doing is dividing. You're saying there's an us, the people that think like me, and to them, the people that don't think like me. That's not. That's not union. That's divisiveness, you see. This is where these people are so stupid they can't even understand the illogical part of their arguments. Uh, now, uh, let me skip down a little bit here because she gets into a whole bunch of, again, just crazy leftist nonsense for a little while, uh, which most of it is. Um, uh, and then she gets down to this. Uh, we've never cleaned up after the Civil War, never made it anathema, as the Germans have since the Second World War, to support the losing side. We have never had a truth about and reconciliation process like South Africa did. First of all, here she does, again, historical uh, congruity between the Nazis and the South Africans, uh, <laughs> the South Africans, saying that the South was that, the South were Nazis. I mean, this is what she's saying. Southerners were Nazis, and uh, they're just like uh, the South Africans who believed in apartheid. Uh, that, that's, the, that's the connection she's making. Without saying it, but that's the connection she's making, which is complete stupidity. Uh, there were descendants of Confederate soldiers, proud descendants of Confederate soldiers, who fought against the Nazis. We thought the Nazis were scum. And yet, somehow, these men, who would have proudly have waved Confederate flags, are somehow Nazis. Uh, it just doesn't make any sense. These people are just idiotic. We've allowed statues to go up across the country glorifying the traitors and losers. Treated the pro-slavery flag as sentimental. Yeah, we, we do every day when we fly the U.S. flag. We treat that pro-slavery flag as sentimental. Every day we fly that U.S. flag which flew over slavery for longer than any other American flag, um, which still had slavery. There were still slave states in the Union in 1863, uh, 1864, and 1865, yet that flag uh, is free from that. And of course, and there's a whole argument with that too, but um, this is where these people just, again, they, they don't understand what they're saying. Um as retired General Stan, Stanley McChrystal just wrote a piece about throwing out about his portrait of Robert E. Lee that he had for 40 years and why U.S. soldiers should celebrate the leader of war against the country says everything about the distortion of meaning and memory here. <laughs> um, now, the, the piece goes on. It's just a hysterical screed, all this kind of stuff. I mean, look, I could react to these things every single day. And I said that I'm going to attach these things with with uh, this Hamilton video from PragerU. One of the things you're getting here, and again, I just mentioned it, there is an us and them in this particular um, piece. And she says, actually, that the problem is that Trump is saying there's an us and them, but really what she's saying is there's an us and them. This is projection of her own feelings onto something else. Trump is actually a nationalist. His us is, in his mind, as I just did an episode uh, of, of a nation, Right, it's of a nation that that's that's Trump, and it doesn't matter who you are in America. He believes that there is an us, Americans, and a them. People who aren't Americans. You see, that's what that's what his economic policies have been about. Uh, in particular, there's an us and them. But she says it's actually he's saying that there is. Uh, that that's divisive. That's somehow divisive by saying there are people not not living in the United States that aren't aren't us. Whereas what she's saying is there's people in the United States that aren't us. Essentially white males. There's an us and a them. She is the one that's divisive. She is the one that's pushing that position. But more than that, she believes in American nation that doesn't. Really exists. She believes in an American idea. It's the proposition nation. This is something I go over in my course on the Declaration of Independence. Her entire worldview is based on a proposition. It's based on the belief that America is nothing more than an idea. That there aren't real cultures that had that founded America. And she goes, one of the things she says a little later on, which is. Uh, interesting. She says, Even before the United States was founded, great conflicts arose between the Puritans and other Christians who wanted to live in a segregated, homogenous society, and the pluralist between narrow and broad us. I, I, I don't, this is very strange. In what is now New Mexico, crypto-Jews, Jews who had survived the Spanish Inquisition by hiding their faith, found refuge in the mid-17th century. In 1657, Quakers, in what is now Queens, New York, issued the Flushing Remonstrance, a manifesto in favor of religious tolerance countering the Dutch colony of New Amsterdam's attempt to drive out Jews and anyone outside of the Dutch Reformed Church. She really doesn't understand colonial history. Yes, there were people in America, the colonies themselves, that believed in homogenous societies. The Puritans certainly were those people, but so were also the Quakers. You see, the Quakers had rules against marrying non-Quakers, against really associating too much with non-Quakers. The Quakers believed in a very closed society. They did believe in religious toleration. Certainly. In fact, you could say the Quakers were in many ways uh, dedicated civil libertarians. Um, But she really doesn't understand American society. If you look at the South, what she's saying is the Confederacy. The Confederacy, or Southerners in general, this is why Charleston, South Carolina, was called the Holy City, because of all the different denominations you had in Charleston, South Carolina. You could say the Puritans were certainly um, vicious when it came to anti-religious toleration, but Southerners, the people she's demonizing. And not only that, slaveholding white Southerners were the ones who were more broadly in favor of religious toleration than any other group. Now, New York, the New York uh, Constitution, which uh, she's saying was, uh, New York was this bastion of uh, anti-Semitism and uh, anti-inclusion, was probably one of the most tolerant when it came to to religion of all the constitutions that were written right right at the beginning of the American War for Independence so she really doesn't understand anything that she's saying it's it's again this piece is projection of her own unhappiness dissatisfaction and misery in society and she's saying there is an us and them but the but the issue at stake here is this national we in her conception of what that is based on a proposition and she can she she ends the piece by essentially saying that I do know that so much of what makes this country miserable is imagined poverty. No, no, it's it's people like you that make this country miserable. I mean because you project that misery, the sense that there is not enough for all of us, that we need to become grabbers and hoarders and slammers of doors and ad hoc border pay- patrols. Wars are fought over resources, and this is a fight over redistribution of resources and who decides about that distribution. We are a vast land a country of unequaled affluence, albeit with obscene problems of distribution, a country that has always been diverse, and one that has periodically affirmed ideas of equality and universal rights that we could actually someday live up to fully. That seems to be the only real alternative to endless civil war for all of us. So, no, no. The only alternative to endless civil war is to understand that we don't live in a proposition nation, number one. And number two, number two, We had federalism to handle these issues of divisiveness because you can have your little socialist utopia wherever you live, and we don't have to tolerate in our area of the world people like you. You see, that's the whole point. Uh, And she says, uh, and she says, you know, as Michelle Alexander reminded us recently. I don't even know who Michelle Alexander is. Some. Leftist nitwit, I'm sure. The whole of American history can be described as a struggle between those who truly embraced the revolutionary idea of freedom, equality, and justice for all, and those who resisted. Oh yeah, that's the whole of American history. That's it, right there, just in a nutshell. We have this proposition nation, and then everyone who was against that. She argues that we are not the resistance, we are the river that they are trying to dam. They are the resistance, the minority, the people trying to stop the flow of history. This is hysterical. (laughs) It's just just hysterical. Um, But if you believe this stuff, then Hamilton really becomes your guy. And I know that a lot of conservatives love Hamilton, and I get this all the time. How can you bash Alexander Hamilton? He's great. He, He saved, he created the economy, he created America. This is the Prager U piece. You see, you might as well have had this. You might as well have had uh, Rebecca Solnit write this piece on Hamilton, because the Prager U video, "Hamilton: The Man Who Invented America," focuses mostly on his background as a boy and what he experienced in the Caribbean, and his views on things like slavery and essentially immigration. Um, and not it, it talks about how he. I mean, this is the guy that created the Constitution. What? Um, ridiculous. But it focuses on that part of Hamilton's life, not uh, the idea... I mean, look, this is Claremont Institute, the, the man who, who's speaking in this. Joseph Tarkovsky, who's a senior fellow at the Claremont Institute. If you don't know what the Claremont Institute is, the Claremont Institute is the leading neoconservative think tank in America. It's Harry Jaffa. It's these people that believe in the proposition nation. The same thing... That Rebecca Solnit is talking about in her idiotic piece for The Guardian. You see, to the Claremont Institute and the neoconservatives, we have a proposition nation. But that proposition nation then creates people like Rebecca Solnit. Uh, They don't understand. So I would agree in many ways. First of all, I would agree with the premise that we live in Hamilton's America. We don't live in, in something else. We live in this unified, one-people, national system where one-size-fits-all, all policies. This is why we have such such nastiness, because we don't have a safety valve. There's no safety valve. So the Confederacy that Solnit is so disparaging, that was the Federal Republic of the Constitution, a Federal Republic that Hamilton didn't want, the man who wanted to make states mere corporations, of the corporate entities, of the central authority. He didn't want the states to have any ability to check the powers of the central authority. What Solnit is really recoiling against is that her people are not in power right now. Her people are not in power. And so the other people are in power, the, the, the them, I mean, very divisive. It's them. Her people are not in power. If her people are in power, she'd have no problem. There'd be no problems. There'd be no angst or misery because the world would be okay. Today, I'm recording this podcast on election day. If the left somehow takes the Congress today, either the House or the Senate or both, uh, the world will be fine with them again because they can actually, they'll have power. This is what it's all about. You want to know what American, I mean, it's simple, but look, every issue in America comes down to one simple thing. Who has power? And who has power in the central authority? That should not be the goal of a federal republic. This is where the progressives just recently have started to realize, you know, if we if we actually had more power in the states, things would be different. Um, it's been the dirty little secret. I, you know, Look, th- the fact is, by nationalizing everything, you create this very nasty, divisive climate. You didn't have a unionist president as as president for eight years, you had a nationalist of particular, a leftist nationalist. And today you have a right wing nationalist, sort of. I mean, look, I said in the last podcast that Donald Trump is really just a 1940s Democrat. That's all he is. And there's, there's no difference between Trump and say Franklin Roosevelt. Trump doesn't want to get rid of all the social safety net and all the, 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 uh, the welfare system, all that. He doesn't want to get rid of any of that. He believes in tariffs and Um, he's just a 1940s Democrat. Uh, And so he's a a, quote-unquote right-wing nationalist, sort of, where you have left-wing nationalists who are out of power. Once the left-wing nationalists come back in power, the world will be right with the left-wingers. But the issue is always going to be, uh, do we have a proposition nation? No. And not just that, do we have a nation at all? No. This one-people fallacy is creating all the angst in America. This one-people fallacy is creating the problems for Rebecca Zolnit, and she's projecting this misery that she has on everyone else. You want to get rid of misery? Decentralize. It's the only way to do it. Think locally. Act locally. Stop worrying about what happens in everybody else's backyard. You want to get rid of misery? Do that. You want to get rid of misery? Love thy neighbor. Treat people with kindness and respect in your own backyard. And generally, in America, people do that. Generally, of course, there's always exceptions. Uh, but that's how you do these things. Um, so, you know, I, when you look at these two pieces, they look—they got a left, crazy left-wing left winger and a neoconservative at the Claremont Hamilton. We live in Hamilton's America. We do, and that's the main problem with America that we live in Hamilton's America and that what Solnit is actually recoiling against is not the confederacy it's not the confederacy it's not this idea of decentralization it's the idea of centralization and everything becomes a national issue that is what she is against that is her main problem so when we all finally figure this out which i don't know if that's ever going to happen you want to solve the, you want to stop the third civil war or the second civil war whatever whatever what civil war you want to say we've had We had the big one, but we also had other conflicts in American history. You want to stop these other, these political conflicts that get very nasty at times? Decentralize. Think locally, act locally. Sweep around your own back door and don't worry about everybody else. Have Rebecca Solnit live wherever she wants to live, in New York or California or whatever socialist utopia she would like to live in. And then stop worrying about everybody else. And therefore, you could solve some of the political conflicts. Stop being so power-hungry. That's the only way to solve these issues in America. doesn't matter if you're on the left or the right. The nationalists are the problem. They are the problem. Uh, and, you know, Trump's nationalism is not what the left says it is. It's just old American nationalism. Uh, but the issue is that the other nationalists, the leftist nationalists, don't like his kind of nationalism. And so this is where you get the issue. All right, well, I hope that answered, you know, the, the people that sent me these links and these videos. I hope this covered some things. And, yeah, I mean, there they they're definitely a good laugh. Uh, I, had, I had a lot of fun reading these things. But um, you could respond to this stuff on almost a daily basis. Uh, so uh, there's nothing new here. There's nothing new to see. The issue is, again, think locally, act locally against nationalism and one-size-fits-all government. When we finally get that, and if you're listening to this podcast I think you you you're on that you're on that path to getting it. If you get that and you start saying, "You know what? I'm going to pay attention. I'm going to pay attention to my city government. I'm going to pay attention to my county government, my state government, and let's just work there." because the central authority and why we all get wrapped up in what happens in these things, the central authority is a lost cause. And if we all did that, we'd have a much happier perspective on life. Rebecca Solnit may not be so miserable if she just did that. I don't know. Maybe she might be. Maybe she's just a miserable person by, uh, by default. But either way, think locally, act locally is the key to political happiness. I'll see you next time on the Brian.